Are you looking for truth today like the man we'll meet today on Grow in Grace? This is the message. This is the devotional. This is the sermon that Jesus is saying. Are you looking for truth, Pilate? This is a defining moment in your life. You don't realize it, but this is the most important instant you will ever have that you've ever had before or you're ever going to have. You're talking to God and he's listening and he's talking back to you. Are you really looking for truth? Are you honestly seeking for the truth? Zion, now filled with hands And in this place gotta dwell with man Sick be healed and the crippled stand Singing hallelujah My kingdom built with the blood of my son Selfless sacrifice for everyone Faith, hope, love and harmony I said let this world know me by your love Have you ever run across a person who's pretty good about asking the right questions, but doesn't really listen for or accept the answer? Well, that pretty much describes Pilate. He's about to ask three good questions, but unfortunately doesn't wait for the answer. Today on Grow in Grace, we finish up John chapter 18, where Jesus is before the Roman governor. One of the many questions he posed is, what is truth? There he was, staring at truth right in the face, but didn't realize it. And still today, people hunger for truth, but totally miss it. We need look no further than Christ. Let's join Pastor Ed as a governor is standing before a king, the king of kings. The men went out to them, verse 29. Pilate went out to them and said, what accusations do you make against this man? Technically, he was the governor from 26 to 36 so we can get the time frame when Jesus there he since we have found that stone fellow one of the Roman historians wrote Pilate was quote inflexible merciless and obstinate and did not wish to do anything that would please his subjects Josephus said that he brought images into the temple that led to a riot in which many Jews were killed. So he was not a nice guy. And he wants to know what is it that Jesus is being accused of. Now, don't get the wrong picture of Pilate. He was a brilliant man. He started out as just a normal foot soldier, worked his way up to a commander of a legion, 6,000 Roman troops, and then a quadrant leader, which means of four of those legions, so 24,000 men, and now he's the leader, the head of a small country in the Middle East. He was brilliant, he was very smart, intelligent, but he knows something's wrong with this trial. He's been in front of many, many men who are accused, and he looks at Jesus and he says, this guy doesn't look like an insurrectionist, he doesn't look like a revolutionary. So. He is asking about Jesus. They answered and said, if he were not an evildoer, if he wasn't a criminal, we wouldn't have brought him to you. That's pretty smart mouth to the Roman guy that's running your whole country. Jesus went about healing the sick, the blind, the deaf, the leper, cast out evil spirits, fed hungry multitude. He was hardly a criminal. And they want Pilate to just assume that whatever they say is true so they can get Jesus killed. You see, what's really going on 
is they legally can't enforce capital punishment. And so this is their end run to get the Roman official to get the Messiah out of their way. Pilate said to them, well, if he's just a criminal, you take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore, the Jews said to him, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Ah, now we get the real reason what's going on here. They just want him to kill this annoyance, Jesus Christ. Now, why wasn't it legal for them to impose capital punishment? It used to be, but they lost the privilege, if you call that a privilege. The Romans took it from them because they were killing people for just political reasons. And in 6 AD, they took it away from them. Now, there was a prophecy in the Old Testament in Genesis 49 about Judah. And you'll remember, this is the area of Israel called Judah. Judah was the son, the grandson of Abraham. And when the blessings were coming on each one of these grandsons, when he got to Judah, he said, the scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes. That's Genesis 49.10. Shiloh sounds like shalom, same root word, until the prince of peace has come. The ability to impose capital punishment will not leave until the Messiah has come. And when that happened in 6 AD, the priests went through the city of Jerusalem with their robes torn and ashes on their face in mourning and whining that the Messiah hadn't come, that the prophecy had failed. Not so fast, because in a little village called Nazareth, there was about a six-year-old boy working in his father's carpenter shop, learning how to make wood things. Jesus was growing up in 6 AD in the village. Now, Scripture is filled with prophecies that are fulfilled. The ones that are most astounding have to do with when he would be born, where he would be born in Bethlehem. But his death is also very in very detailed prophecy. Psalm 22 says that his hands and his feet would be pierced. And that was written a thousand years before Jesus was born in Zechariah. Zechariah 12. When Jesus comes to planet earth again, the Jews will gather around on the Mount of Olives and they will, they will look at him and say, what is the meaning of those scars on your hands and on your feet. And Jesus will say to them, I received them in the house of a friend. And they will weep and mourn because they finally realize that Jesus is the Messiah. So, that the same, verse 32, that Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke. The prophecy that Jesus himself spoke, signifying by what death he would die. You can find it over in Matthew chapter 20, verse 18. There Jesus speaking said, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify 
then the third day he will rise again. Now, that's a pretty bold thing to say about yourself, <laughs> unless you're God, and you know exactly how it's going to happen and who's going to do it. So, that's the accusation. Now, are you the king of the Jews? Verse 33. Then Pilate entered the praetorium. He leaves the mob outside that are crying for Barabbas. And he goes inside, he calls Jesus, and he said, are you the king of the Jews? What a question. He's the king. He's over, at least the governor, over the whole country. So he is making a strange statement. He looks at Jesus, and he's probably smirking. He's probably saying, doesn't look like a threat to me. He doesn't look like an insurrectionist. Now, Pilate is blind. He can't see what's going on here. You and I have the advantage of reading about it 2,000 years later. He has the creator of the universe in front of him. What an opportunity. He could have asked him any question. I would have had a lot of questions to ask him. Pilate thinks, mistakenly, Pilate believes that Jesus is on trial. No, it's Pilate that's actually on trial. Pilate, who stands before the judge of all the earth. Of course, Jesus doesn't look like the judge of all the earth at that moment. I believe Jesus actually tries to make Pilate think. You see, he so loves the whole world that he even loves Pilate. And he's trying to give him a little more time, a little more space to think about what he's saying. And so Jesus asks Pilate, after he's been asked, are you the king of the Jews? He said, are you speaking for yourself on this? Are you asking me personally? Are you seeking for truth about the king of the Jews? Or did others tell you about me? He gives him an opportunity to respond to the truth, an opportunity to do right. And he does that for all of us. He said, if you seek me, you will find me. Are you seeking me, Pilate? Wait a minute, what did you just ask? Do you really want to know? Are you asking for yourself or are you just mouthing things that you've heard other people say? Hmm. Pilate answered, what? Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Okay, Pilate realizes he doesn't understand all the idiosyncrasies of the Jewish law. He sees that Jesus is aware of that also. And Jesus is gently saying, Pilate, you're over your head. <laughs> you have no idea what's really going on here. You think you just have a carpenter from Nazareth, and this is just a matter of getting him through the process of crucifixion. You don't know what he really represents in the world. So Jesus gives him a little short sermonette, okay? This is the devotional for Pilate. You're listening to Pastor Ed Ray on Growing Grace. We've got just a few more verses to go to finish up John 18, so let's get right back to it. My kingdom is not of this world. What? Now, we live in the 21st century where we talk about spacecrafts and we watch Star Trek and we're convinced Star Wars is real. And so we're, we're aware of the concept of even trying to go put a rover on Mars and to build some sort of a place where humans could live. 
This is the first century. Pilate has nothing like that to think of, to compare what Jesus just said. Yeah, I have a kingdom, but it's on another planet. Or to be more precise, this is all my kingdom. What? Pilate has got to be blown away. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. His servants, the angels. Remember? He said, Peter, put away your sword. Don't you know that if I wanted, I would call down 12 legions of angels? How much is a legion again? 6,000. 12 legions? 72,000 angels showing up at the Garden of Gethsemane. I've been there. It's not that big. That's a city <laughs> of angels. I would just call them and they would fight that I should be delivered from this Jewish leadership. Remember, again, it's the religious leaders. But now my kingdom isn't from here. That's got to be blowing Pilate's mind. Pilate, you're wondering if I'm a revolutionary. I'm the most revolutionary person you've ever considered in your life. I'm going to change the whole world the way people think about things like truth. You're not understanding what's going on here, but fasten your seatbelt. <laughs> My kingdom is not of this world. Pilate, his head has to be reeling. And he says, well, then are you a king? That's an honest question, I think. Jesus answered, you say rightly, yep, you got it. I am a king. For this cause I was born. Not, not just the king of the earth, but the king of the cosmos. And for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth Anyone really looking for truth hears my voice. So this is the message. This is the devotional. This is the sermon that Jesus is saying. Are you looking for truth, Pilate? This is a defining moment in your life. You don't realize it, but this is the most important instant you will ever have that you've ever had before or you're ever going to have. You're talking to God and he's listening and he's talking back to you. Are you really looking for truth? Are you honestly seeking for the truth? Speak about the truth. What is really important here is not what is truth, who is true. The next, Pilate said to him, what is truth? No, 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 you don't quite have that right, Pilate. Add who is truth. He's standing in front of you. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And when he had said this, he walks away. Pilate says, what's truth? He doesn't wait for the answer. He's got God in the docket, ready to tell him. And he doesn't wait. It bothers Pilate, that word does bother people, truth. It's so exposing. It's like you can't hide from the light. It's right there. But Pilate doesn't believe in truth. He's a relativist. He thinks that it's unique. He has truth. This guy has truth. You have truth. You have truth. Everybody has their own truth. No. Situation ethics. Well, you know, the right or wrong. There's no absolutes. The little mixtures of things. We'll come back to that in just a minute. The Greek word for truth is aletheia. It's a, actually a very popular name in Greece today. But aletheia is something that's right in front of you. You can't miss it. It's beautiful. A, 
added to a Greek word means the opposite of it. Not beautiful, not good. Hidden, something isn't, isn't seen. That's the Greek word that's used right here. And then the word truth in Hebrew is emeth, E-M-E-T-H, transliterized, which means firmness, durable. It means an integer, what? Integrity, an integer is a number that is the same all the way through. Numbers that engineers use to calculate things. Truth always matches its object. Now, hang with me just a moment here because there's truth in one sense for one person that's different than another. Example, two people have diabetes. One of them has a blood sugar of 400, four times the normal range. The other one has 150 milligrams per deciliter of of too much sugar, grape sugar. You can take, measure it, put it on a pan balance, and do the math. The person who has 150 needs a lot less insulin than the person who has a 300 or 400 glucose. So for them, the truth is still the same. They need insulin. Linus Pauling discovered it years ago, and we have it available today. But Patient A needs a lot less than patient B. So in that sense, it's still the same truth, though. They both need something to make their own pancreas able to break down glucose. Anyway, we won't go too deep into that. So not relative. In fact, it's important for us, truth. It's important for you as a believer. It's important for us as we try and worship with music and sing songs to God. Because Jesus said in John chapter 4 to the woman at the well, she said, well, you guys say we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem, but my father said that we worship here on top of this mountain. They're standing next to Mount Gerizim in Samaria. And Jesus said, the time is coming and now is. Those who want to worship the Father must worship him in spirit and in truth. You have to deal with reality before you can even worship God. So, they're struggling with an Eastern concept. It happened in Rome. It happened in Athens, Greece. The Greek culture took it to the Roman culture. And this poor man who's stuck on the horns of a dilemma here is trying to deal with a subject that you've heard. It comes from India, and it's an old parable. And let me tell you the parable, you'll get it right away. It's from 2,500 years ago. So there was an Indian man who owned an elephant. He wanted to do an experiment. So he took the elephant into a room that was filled with blind men. And they smelt the elephant, and they heard the noise, the grunting, and they said, what's that? And he said, it's an elephant. And they said, well, what's an elephant like? He said, well, come and feel. And the first blind man came up and grabbed the leg. And it was huge. And he said, oh, an elephant is a tree. Second man walked around to the back and felt and grabbed the tail. And he said, no, no, the elephant is a rope, a smelly rope. <laughs> Third one walks to the side and he reaches up and he grabs an ear, the elephant ear, and he moves around. He said, no, no, an elephant is like a banana leaf. It's huge and floppy. 
And the guy that brought in the elephant says, you're all right. No, that's not true. That's used to convey to people, you and I, I heard it in grade school, that parable, that see, truth is just relative. Uh Uh-uh. One guy in the room knew exactly what an elephant was, the guy who brought it in. Jesus came to earth and brought truth so that we wouldn't be blindly feeling around what's an elephant like. All of a sudden, that old parable is not so cute, is it? Wow, somebody's trying to mess it with my mind. 39. But you have a custom. Pilate's talking to the crowd. I have this custom of on Passover, we always set one prisoner free. And do you want me to set the king of the Jews free? And the crowd has already been paid off as a bribe for the chief priests. And they all cried out, verse 40, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a murderer, it's literally. Josephus said that it was the term that meant someone who had been in an insurrection and a rebellion and had killed innocent citizens, innocent bystanders. So they should have hated Barabbas. And instead, they'd been paid off, and so they were willing to do the great exchange. You and I are just like Barabbas. Well, Pastor, you might be, not me. We're all guilty of sin. We've all failed, and we're all going to stand before God someday. So Barabbas is a guilty man. Even his name is filled with meaning. His full name is Jesus Barabbas. Jesus, God is salvation, Yeshua in the Hebrew language, Bar, son of Abba, Abba, father. Barabbas is the son of the father, but the real son of the father, Jesus Christ, is standing there. And the people have to decide. You and I are just like Barabbas because we know we're guilty. And we know that if Jesus died for us, he's paid the price and we're free. So there it is, the great exchange of Jesus' life for Barabbas. Barabbas lived with that. We're told by early church historians that he became a believer after that. Pilate, not so good. Pilate struggles. What is truth, he said in 38. Well, Barabbas, they saved. A murderer, they saved. The prince of life they slay for you and for me. This opportunity of truth is open for every one of us, like Pilate had. Oh, we don't get an audible voice back. I've never heard an audible voice from God. But he's spoken to me many times from Scripture about being a slave to sin and being set free. What is truth? In a word, Jesus and he is the way, the truth, and the life. All we need to do is accept and receive that truth, and we'll be forever changed. Thanks for joining us for Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We're going through the Gospel of John together from start to finish. 
For a CD copy of today's message, just call 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Or you can listen online at thepackinghouse.org. You'll find an archive of past radio programs there too, which comes in handy should you miss a message on the radio. Go to thepackinghouse.org and look for our radio page. You know, it takes a team to bring Grow and Grace to you, and we look to our listeners to help make all of this possible. We have an exciting resource to tell you about. It's True Spirituality by Francis Schaeffer. After serving the Lord as a pastor for many years, Francis began to wonder if Christianity really made a difference in people's lives. True spirituality, you could say, is the result of his effort to re-examine his faith. And if you want to discover what true spirituality looks like in everyday life, this is the book for you. We'll send you a copy when you support Grow in Grace today with a gift of any amount. And as you give, you'll be helping many others around the country and around the world to grow in grace as well. Just give us a call, 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. This program is presented by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands. Son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harm.